Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Mr. President, Dr. King is here. Mr. President, in the South, there have been thousands of racially motivated murders. We need your help. Dr. King, this thing's just gonna have to wait. It cannot wait. You got one big issue, I got 101. Summer it is. Well, how very fitting that on Martin Luther King Day, we should sit down to do our reviews. And so the first one has to, of course, be Selma. It's released in uh, December to much acclaim, but also much controversy, and did receive an Academy Award nomination for Best Picture, but then nothing for the director or the acting, which is always sort of odd. When some, how could something be Best Picture, but nothing else? So we're going to start with Selma, and i got to ask you, O'Toole, what did you think? There were many things about the movie that I loved. I wish it were a documentary, but I'm glad that it wasn't. And let me just explain myself. I know that when this kind of important piece of history is made as a narrative film, it's going to find a much wider audience. And of course, you know, I always want as many people to be interested in um, becoming informed and enlightened as possible. So I'm glad that it's, um, it's out there and that people are watching it and it brings up so many subjects. And at the very end of the film, not to start our podcast with the end of the film, I was glad that they did show some original black and white footage of the actual marches. Right, right. Also, an interesting point to your point is this is the first film uh, that talks about Martin Luther King, you know, which is, I mean, in general, you know, which is, you know, where he is the primary focus of a film. But secondly, you know, that's the Harvard in you <laughs> tool that you would, you know, that you want the documentary because the rest of America who went to the University of Nebraska with me, we much prefer it being told to us in this fabulous, uh, intimate way that could never be recreated uh, from that long ago. And yet the great danger, of course, is when the credits are rolling, <laughs> they do have that big disclaimer at the end that says, but, you know, we did take liberties because it's a narrative film. And the big controversy does focus and center around and should be right at the front of this podcast is a lot of the historians are criticizing the film by saying this really makes it look as if LBJ uh, was not a supporter of of the right to vote, which was absolutely not true. He was totally a supporter of the right to vote. But, and I think that the film doesn't say he wasn't supporting it. He just said, I have things I want to do first. And sure, they have to create tension, and that was a great place to create tension. And the historians are saying there was nowhere near that amount of tension taking place. Well, one thing that I couldn't help thinking is that um, this is obviously a movie about American history, and yet at least four of the major characters portrayed in the movie were played by Brits. So Martin Luther King, Coretta Scott King, um, LBJ, Governor George Wallace, they're all uh, tremendous British actors. And it is a little ironic that, um, you know, none of those four were portrayed by American actors. A tremendous amount of controversy about people not... um not getting uh, Academy Award nominations when they should, should have. And one is the guy who plays Martin Luther King, uh, David O'Yellow, and I think that's how you pronounce his name. Did you think it was an Academy Award performance? Well, I knew that going in to see the movie because I just saw the movie yesterday. I wanted to wait until Martin Luther King weekend. In many ways, I was so impressed with his voice and his delivery of Martin Luther King's amazing speeches. It is unacceptable that they use their power to keep us voiceless. Those that have gone before us say no more. 
I am not proud of what I'm about to say, but you you know that I am a heightist. And at the very <laughs> first glimpse of um, David Oyelowo, I thought, oh, is he shorter than Martin Luther King would have been? Because in my head, especially over this January weekend, yeah, he's he a larger shorter, than life definitely. figure. Um, and then I started thinking, is it that he is so good that he's making it look too easy? And so I'm not as impressed as I should be by the fact that um, he was pulling off Martin Luther King much more so, I thought, than um, the character of LBJ. And it's not that um, Tom Wilkinson is a tremendous actor. And of course, he was nominated for his role in Michael Clayton. And um, I've liked him in so many things. And when I first saw him, and again, it's always that um, moment where it's just so disjointed for me, where you realize that these are people playing characters with whom we're so familiar from history. I looked at Tom Wilkinson and I thought, is he supposed to be playing LBJ with a hunchback? And then I thought, is it just that um, LBJ is... Um, you know, being portrayed as so on the wrong side of this issue at the beginning. I thought his portrayal of LBJ was amazingly good. You know, he was an extremely charismatic man who was also a bully and at the same time, you know, could pull out his kindness. I, you know, I love the line where he says, you know, my wife can't sleep at night because of the people out front, you know. My lady bird. You, you, know, he, you know, he was always tongue in cheek, but I thought he portrayed it brilliantly. And I actually felt like he even made himself sort of look like him, speak like him. I thought he had it down pat. I thought he did an amazing job. And frankly, I think he should have been up for an Academy Award for supporting actor. But also I have to point out to you, the speeches were not accurate. The speeches are owned by someone else and they were not able to use the actual speeches uh, in the movies. But but in a way, I thought that was one of the things that made him so good is that um, in the role is when he was on the screen or when he was speaking, I think the thing is it doesn't have to look like King or have the stature, you know, the size of King or anything else. What we needed to get was that when he was in the room, he was constantly on stage and entered, you know, he, he was the man, no question that he was the man. And you could see on his face the decision when it was sort of like, okay, we're playing a chess game, I'm crossing the bridge, now they've stood down, what do I do next? I mean, I thought his facial expressions and combination between that, his oration, and his um, his emotional ability to connect with the individual man. I thought I thought he nailed it. I thought he nailed King. He did a great job of portraying vulnerable and portraying um, the humanity of this figure because one of the interesting things that comes up when discussing a movie like Selma is that there's always the danger with these larger-than-life characters from history that we start portraying them as heroes as opposed to humans. And I was curious going into it how they were going to address, if at all, um, his reputation as a philanderer. I, they chose to put it in the movie. It wouldn't have mattered to me if they did. And I think they did because they intimate that, um, that LBJ pushed Hoover to send the tape to uh, Coretta King. But Every single historian says there's not one basis of fact for that, and that the truth is LBJ, like most of the presidents of of that decade, really didn't want anything to do with Hoover, although they took his information. Like, they, they loved getting the information, but they didn't ask him to do anything with it. And so there's really no indication that LBJ was behind that. And if, if there's 
And if so if that's true, if LBJ wasn't behind it, then that's a huge flaw in this movie because it does in my mind, take LBJ down a few notches. Well, Hoover, of course, was played, I thought, very well by Dylan Baker. And Dylan Baker, yeah, of course, has made some great guest appearances on my favorite show, The Good Wife, as the man who was accused of murdering <laughs> yeah. his... Oh, that's where I've seen... Yes, mm-hmm. that's where I've seen him. I couldn't remember. And he okay. was also in the show that I loved on Broadway called God of Carnage with your man Jeff Daniels from Newsroom. Um, so he's another mm-hmm. great actor who, um, you know... Oh, there were a lot... I mean, you know, and wasn't it great to see the president from the West Wing. <laughs> Martin Sheen <laughs> making judge. another I very know. courtly appearance He was a, as judge. a judge. And when he was on there, I thought, what are you doing here? You, know, like, you don't belong here. Well, you, know, you belong in the Oval Office. Um, the, an actor with whom I was so impressed was Carmen Ajogo, who played um, Coretta Scott King. I thought she was luminous on the stage. Unlike the character of Martin Luther King, who was given so many great speeches, even though, as you point out, they might not be historically as accurate as they could have been. I thought she did so such a good job of um, her facial expressions. And to me, this is why the womanizing issue could be relevant, is that when I watch a movie about civil rights activists and people who do so much to change the world, I'm often intrigued with the toll it takes on their own personal lives. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about the toll it took, for me, what was interesting is the fog of fear. The fog of fear of death was so much bigger than the fact that he fooled around when he wasn't home. And yet... You know, now maybe that... Yeah, yeah, maybe that's not true, but uh, but all those women, if you look at them, Jackie Kennedy, terrified of death, mm-hmm. you know, which of course happened. And with another womanizing you know, husband. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, look at Medgar Evers, his wife, you know, who, I mean, Medgar told her every day, this might be the last time, goodbye, I love you, whatever. Mm-hmm. These these women behind these men, what they gave up was, was, was so huge in terms of their... Um, in, in terms of their calmness in a given day, it's, you know, and maybe that's a little bit what a police officer's wife feels like when they go off into into the, you know, dregs of, of New York City police policemanry or something. What they did a really great job of in terms of just dramatic content for a movie was making the tension between the two spouses very palpable. So in that opening scene where she's helping him put on his ascot to accept the Nobel Peace Prize in Oslo... Physically, I thought those two actors did such a good job where they're standing so closely to each other, and yet you can tell there is familiarity, intimacy, and yet tension there, and how close they were and stepped away. And she really didn't want to live like that. She wanted to live the best she could, you know, with her children. She wanted her children to have things, you know. It's a calculus where you think, okay, how much are you willing to sacrifice what might be better for your family in order to save the world? So um, when she was talking to him about the things that that their children will never have because he didn't want it to look wrong. Um, the safety, the security their family would never have, the death threat she was getting on the phone. And yet I'm glad that they didn't um, portray the actual children. We saw children from afar running in a backyard and him, you know, yeah. tucking them in at night, but that, you know, we didn't introduce the, the characters of the children because I was still recovering from that opening image of the, the innocent children dying when the bomb goes off in the church in Selma. So maybe they didn't show the children because the truth is he really wasn't such a family man. He was a man, you know, he loved her, but he was a man who was committed to his cause. And the cause was 
bigger than the family. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, I can understand that on some level. Every single day when Martin Luther King had to decide, am I going to go march and leave my family alone? You know, am I going to stay with my family and not march I, with I, I have to tell people? you, I don't really think that's what he was thinking. I, mean, I have to disagree. I don't think he was thinking, am I going to march, die, and leave my family alone? I think he was thinking, I am going to march because my cause is bigger than myself, and I hope I live to see another day because I want to see the cause go forward. I don't really think... As he was marching down those roads, he was necessarily thinking of the children being possibly left behind. I don't, I don't think so. That's just my personal opinion based on nothing. <laughs> we have to get to Oprah. Oprah, who we, you know I love, right? Uh-huh. She's definitely been a mentor in my life from the background with, you know, whether it's her comments or, or things that she's brought in front of me that I was able to read because she, she pointed them out or whatever. But she's got to stop going in these movies. Number one... <laughs> Let me just tell you how I feel about it. Number one, she's a great actor. And if she wants to be an actor, then she needs to quit her jo- her day job and she needs to become an actor because, A, there are so few roles for women of color anyway. Why take one away from somebody else who's trying to do it full time? It's just not, you know, it's what? Is it an ego thing? It has to be a little bit of an ego thing. It's not for the money. Who knows? They probably didn't even pay her. And, you know, she did it also... Um, in the butler, and frankly, I t- think it took away from the from the subject line of the butler. Everybody talks about Oprah's role. Everybody, you know, Oprah doesn't belong. She's a she's a mover and a shaker in people's thought process, et cetera. And you can't insert yourself into fiction film. You just can't. I think she needs to stop doing it. She needs to not be mad at me for saying it, but she needs to give the role to somebody, A, who could really use the after card or SAG card or whatever the card is you get, and she needs to recognize that um, while she's a great actor, it, it's just, you know, needs to be given to somebody else. See, That's what I say about it. I know. I have to totally disagree with you here. Um, I think Oprah's performance was mesmerizing. and She's good. But she it's because you're looking at Oprah and you know it's Oprah. No, I got to tell you, even when I was at the theater yesterday, the woman seated to my left when they were rolling the credits, she said, oh my God, that was Oprah? She had no idea. She didn't even recognize her as Oprah. Well, that's because she doesn't follow her as closely as I, I do. I Anybody who follows so Oprah knows exactly Oprah when she came it. on the screen. No, no, I got to say, to your point, there are tens of thousands of hardworking actors out there who are all trying to get their SAG cards. I think it should be a meritocracy, and it, could, it should go to whoever is best for the part. Okay, let's guess how many people read for that role besides her. Oh, I get. Oh, no. would you say? <laughs> would you say that other people should step aside and let other actors, and we should be more socialist in our casting? I don't choices? know anybody. I don't know anybody who's in news or commentary or does any show similar to Oprah's who does who does film like that? Name one. Do you one. think Schwarzenegger doesn't have the right to go from being governor to going back to the movies? He should step aside? And- no, but when he was governor, he was never in a movie. She can't commentate on this stuff and then insert... I, I just I just don't know why she did it. And also, she's really busy. She should be working on other things. Well, she's saying. definitely very busy, but I gotta tell you, I remember when I first saw her in The Color Purple, and I was... Oh, no, no. That was different. No, no, she was not I who was- she is today. She's not. Blown. Yeah, she was not a commentator. But I don't think her success as one of the most successful business people of all time should be held against her in terms of letting her do what she is so no. talented at. No, but I think it should be a personal choice on her part to say, "I'm not going to take the role." Well, she certainly I'm trying to she help women. Take- you know, she pushes women of color. She really tries to help her people. And I think 
that this does not necessarily do that. And I betcha there are women actors of color who were saying, come on, oh, do you really need to do that? Can't you give that to let it, let well, that be ours? I think we're all Oprah's people. I mean, so many of us have been with Oprah for so many years. Um, but I think probably the fact that she was in the movie helps to get it distribution, helps get it watched, helps get everyone paid, make sure that there's funding behind it. Um, I think... Like no, the her, color, her, like no, the her, color her, comp- her production company, her produ- production company did it. I mean, they paid for it. I mean, that's not what got it, you know, I mean, she, and they paid for the PR and everything else. Her being in it is, is an act of vanity. In my, it's sort of like, no, it's an, it, you know, it's Spielberg wouldn't put himself in a, in a film. He just wouldn't. But he, I don't think he could act like Oprah can. I mean, no one does downtrodden in the face of unjust adversity <laughs> like Oprah. So much well, like, maybe, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm saying still, well, then she should be an actor, then quit and be an actor. She no, has to make up her mind I, what she wants to no, be. No, no, this, re- this this reminds me of an interview I once saw where Charlie Rose was adamant when he was interviewing Cher and he kept wanting to bifurcate her talents and say, are you an actress or are you a singer? And she's like, why can't I do both? Um, when I saw Oprah come into this movie, again, I thought she was mesmerizing when she was trying to register to vote. She's a great actor. I'm not saying she's not. Well, you know what? We can we can agree to disagree. And I think some people probably would agree with me and some people would, people would agree with you and they're glad she's in it. But I felt also, I felt like, you know, just heard the fact that she was in The Butler in such a big way. And then all the conversation was about Oprah as an actor rather than around what The Butler was about. You know, the, it, it takes it off the tracks. You know, it diverts it from the track that she actually wants it to be on. And so. yet, you know, again, with The Butler, it never would have been made if Oprah hadn't been involved. Um, and it's not know. as yeah, though in, in, the, um, in Selma, she didn't, she wasn't on screen for that long, but she certainly had very memorable scenes. Yeah, she was in and out a bit. But, but the other thing, you know, it's, you know, it's something that really taught me right out of the gate. First of all, I was 11 in 63, so 10, 11. And I have to say that um, one of the things that really hit me was I could so see when he was arguing with LBJ about do the poor people's act or, or for them to be able to register, I was like, oh, my God, I never thought about the fact that if you can't vote, you can't sit on a jury, which means you can't have a jury of your peers. I mean, I never realized the enormity of not being able to vote. I read in one review actually by David Edelstein, who I think is one of one of the great thinkers, and he was talking about LBJ's concern that if he brought the voting um, act forward in the South, that the South wouldn't vote uh, Democrat. And so the enormity of those issues at that time and what it would mean for the future and stuff was really, really strongly prevalent. And I just didn't realize how very important it is to be able to vote, to be able, you know, to live your life as a free American is dependent on your ability to vote. And yet, I mean, we could go on for weeks just on I know, voting because I know. when you think about. Um, what a privilege of democracy voting is and how many Americans choose not to vote at all. Um, that's a travesty. Um, just in terms of voting, did you ever see Ken Burns's documentary on um, Susan B. Anthony? No. It is fascinating because they were talking about what the suffragists went through, where that was a civil rights movement that lasted over a hundred years. Well, it's interesting what you were saying to me about LBJ, because um, when I first started watching Selma, I thought one of the tricky things about making a movie, which again, I'm so glad they did, about such an awful 
period in American history. In making a movie like this, it's a little bit to me reminiscent of making a narrative film about the Holocaust, is that the villain is almost too easy. Well, and even the, you know, the stereotypes that were cast for the bad, the bad guys in the South, yeah, there, I find, I find, you know, I, I, I think you have to be careful with that stuff. I think, you know, you have to be careful not to propagandize either side. There were scenes that were beautifully shot. And I think that clips from this would make a very powerful music video in terms of inspiring activism. So for example, the soundtrack that was behind the scenes where they're marching and the scenes of them crossing over the bridge, um, very powerfully done. I think it's a great movie. I definitely think it should have, when you look at what else is up in terms of Academy Award performances, no offense, but, you know, of course he should have been nominated. And, uh, you know, you can't help but laugh when you realize that, you know, 79% of the people choosing uh, the Academy Award winners are um, men, white men, over 60. So no offense, you know, the performances in this by everyone were really, really, really good and really strong in terms of trying to speak to the issues that were surrounding that time, which were huge. And so many actors. I mean, Lorraine Toussaint was in it um, from Any Day Now with Annie Potts. And did you recognize Giovanni Ribisi, who, um, yes, you know, yes. he was in it from Friends, who played Phoebe's brother. Yep. At the very end, where they point out that Martin Luther King was only 39 when he was assassinated. They always think of well, him as older than he was because he got so much done. Yeah, he did get a lot done, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, but by the way, a great orator, you know, the difference between between King and the other people who did as much for civil rights, the difference between them and King is he could orate. In other words, a great orator is always going to have a larger voice in the future. This is my little trivia (laughs) moment, is that at the beginning of the movie where they show Martin Luther King at night and he calls up a woman, he says, you know, I want to hear, what was it? I want to hear God's voice. I want to hear, there was some great line, and she starts to sing to him. And um, I remember reading recently that President Kennedy, um, at least on two occasions, if not more, he would sometimes call up Judy Garland at night and ask her to sing him Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And well, I guess that's better than calling Marilyn Monroe and asking her to sing Happy Birthday. Exactly. <laughs> I just want to mention here a book that I loved called Freedom in the Family by Patricia Stevens Dew, who was a huge civil rights activist, and her daughter, Tanana Reeve Dew. And in the book, they quote Patricia Stevens Dew. I love this quote where she says, history is made one person at a time. Yeah. And what she brought up was that we are all foot soldiers. And she said that danger in canonizing certain figures is that we forget they were just people. And then, you know, the everyday individual might wake up and say, well, I'm not a hero. There's nothing I can do. Where she pointed out, you know, Martin Luther King was someone she knew as Martin. You know, he was a guy. Um, You know, we can all stand up and do what's right. We can all do our share. Um, You know, we should own our own power. Yeah, you know, I I search for mine sometimes, especially in today's world where it's almost easier to turn off the TV um, or to turn off the news than try to figure out how you could possibly change what's what's, you know, going on. It's amazing to look back and to see that time and to see the strides that were made, you know, surrounding it. And I cried three or four times in that movie. And sometimes I'll cry in a movie, but usually it's at the end and it's at that pivotal 
uh, vortex when they want me to cry. But this time, I just cried a lot. It goes to show that history belongs to those who write it, to those who film it, to those who preserve it. That's why I just encourage everyone to go out and um, document their stories. Okay, so uh, so we do recommend this movie. Uh, one of us because you should see it, and the other one because I think it's a really, really good film. So enjoy Selma if you can, uh, and also take a moment when you leave to be grateful for the strides our country's made and hope for some more to come. 